scholars have recognized that the design of the chariot wheel can be used to identify specific periods in Egyptian history. In the waters of Aqaba, it appears that remnants of four and six spoke wheels have been discovered. These designs were used simultaneously only during Egypt's 18th dynasty and no later than about 1400 BC, a time frame that coincides closely to the biblical date of the Exodus. The discoveries made between Nueva Beach and Saudi Arabia have been fascinating, but they also raise some obvious questions. If God parted these waters, how could a large group of people, including the elderly and the very young, have walked across the Gulf of Aqaba? And since we know that the Gulf of Aqaba is terribly deep, because there is a very deep section in the crust of the earth that goes from the Dead Sea through Gulf of Aqaba, down through the main part of the Red Sea, and down into Ethiopia, and it's called the Rift Valley there. The imposing terrain of the Great Rift Valley is evident in the towering mountains that line the Aqaba coast. They drop straight down into the sea, creating an underwater canyon more than a mile deep a seemingly impassable divide, even if devoid of water. While surveying the subsurface topography of the Nueva crossing site, evidence was uncovered that could help explain how Israel walked from one coast to the other. At its steepest points, the Gulf of Aqaba plunges more than 5,500 feet. Yet the ocean floor off the coast of Nueva Beach rises up several thousand feet from this trench, creating a wide, flattened ridge that the Israelites could have crossed once the Red Sea was divided. Simulated to scale in this computer animation, the view of the gulf south of the Nueva Peninsula is striking. A chasm deeper than the Grand Canyon extends more than 50 miles. Its steep shorelines stand in sharp contrast to the shallow grade of the gently sloping ridge that extends from Nueva Beach to Saudi Arabia. It is a ridge that resembles what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah once called a pathway through the mighty waters. The robotic camera was used to evaluate the physical characteristics of this undersea ridge for the first time. It's just flat, extremely flat, and very wide. There are no corals, there are no pieces of rock, and we followed that far out in the Gulf of Aqaba. It got deeper and deeper, but it was very flat all the time. And the interesting thing is also that the material on the seabed is not mud, as it is in the Gulf of Suez or at other places. It's um, a thin layer of sand or silt. It is 
easy to walk on it if you take away the water and there would be no limit to to have an enormous amount of people there except the water of course but that's that's not our problem that's god took care of that thus says the lord who makes a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters come and see the works of god he turned the sea into dry land and they passed through on foot While the existence of an underwater ridge stretching from Nueva Beach to Saudi Arabia may make it easier to understand how the Israelites could have crossed the Aqaba Gulf, it does not explain the actual parting of these waters in the manner described by the writers of the Exodus account. My understanding at Nueva is that if the water was removed so they could cross there, it is nothing that we could explain from a scientific point of view, period. Well, if you look at the, the Red Sea crossing as it's described in the Bible, what you clearly see there is this situation where a wind has come up and has dried out the land for them to cross. But then there's this element where the waters have formed a wall to the left and the right of the Israelites as they pass through. And they say that two or three times, so it's, it's quite clear in their memory that the waters were like a wall, and there's just no naturalistic explanation for something like that. For those who accept the idea that God could have divided the Red Sea by performing a miracle, the lack of naturalistic explanation poses no difficulty. Scholars, however, have generally assumed that miracles are impossible because they violate the laws of nature. As a result, any document based on a miraculous event must be historically unreliable. This reasoning, though widespread, is not without opposition. Some scholars, including the late Oxford philosopher and writer C.S. Lewis, have noted that accounts of biblical miracles display features of genuine historical literature. Lewis, in particular, argued that miracles, properly understood, never violate natural law. It is inaccurate to define a miracle as something that breaks the laws of nature. It doesn't. Laws of nature tell what will happen, provided there's no interference. A miracle is an interference with nature by a supernatural power. Miraculous elements in a biblical narrative do not, therefore, preclude its historicity. C.S. Lewis believed that miracles are acts of God, and therefore entirely possible, if there is a God to take action. If you assume that God doesn't exist, then miracles are impossible, of course. But if God does exist, then there's the possibility that miracles could have occurred. So when we're looking at events in the, in the Bible like this, we have to be objective when we come to the evidence. We have to look at the data and say, is it really clear enough that a miracle might have really occurred here? If we objectively look at the evidence then, 
and it really seems to lead in the direction of something miraculous, then we need to be open to that. After more than a century of research, where does the body of available evidence for the Exodus now lead? Many archaeologists have attempted to trace the path of Israel's journey to Mount Sinai. The routes they have most frequently proposed have yielded little or nothing in the way of actual confirmation. Yet today, another theory for the Israelites' path, far different from traditional ideas, may provide a trail of direct evidence for both a miracle and the historical validity of the Exodus account. Beginning in northeastern Egypt, Egyptian records and archaeological excavations document the presence of a Hebrew slave population several centuries prior to the probable time of the Exodus. Evidence also shows that the Hebrews later appeared in Canaan, the promised land, after centuries of bondage. Historical documents and possibly archaeological evidence locate the mountain of God in northwest Arabia, the site of biblical Midian. And a trade route leading to Midian, intersected by a system of riverbeds terminating at the Aqaba coast, matches biblical and historical descriptions of the Israelites' path to the Red Sea. There, in the waters off Nueva Beach, structures resembling 18th Dynasty chariot wheels lie embedded in coral on an elevated ridge that connects the Sinai and Arabian peninsulas. So then you have a lot of things that you can put together to build a picture, like a puzzle. And we find artifacts, and we find geography, locations and surroundings, so to speak, around this that fits the text very well. Well, a good scientific theory explains a lot of evidence very simply and coherently. And there's a pattern that's coming out of this evidence that really suggests that the biblical record has a lot more historical content to it than what scholars have been willing to grant in the past. So the question no longer is, why don't we find any evidence for the Exodus? But instead, what do we do with this evidence that we now have that clearly seems to support the biblical record? The scriptures tell us that nearly 3,500 years ago, God parted the waters of the Red Sea and led the Israelites to freedom. Did it happen here? Did it happen at all? Is the biblical description factually accurate? As with any historical investigation, we may never know with absolute certainty. And so, perhaps belief in the Exodus will always require a measure of faith. But facts and faith need not conflict, as recent discoveries suggest. For history and archaeology, have now uncovered compelling reasons to reconsider the extraordinary claims of the Exodus story.